It's the network break. We're sponsored in part today by Service Express. They're a leader in third-party data center maintenance. You can lower your support costs, extend the life of your hardware, and save up to 70% on server storage and network maintenance. You can visit serviceexpress.com slash packetpushers to learn more and find out how you can win a $50 Amazon gift card. Stay tuned after the news. We've got a Tech Bytes conversation. The sponsor is Fortinet, and they sent along customer Payomatic to talk about how Payomatic has deployed Fortinet's secure SD-WAN to revamp its network, cut MPLS costs, and position the company to take better advantage of the cloud. I always like customer stories. Always like those customer stories. It, it feels customer more... stories are good. Yeah, it feels more more realistic. Yeah, and we did have a good conversation. But it is a good conversation. Yes. Catch that at the end of the show. All right, to the news. IDC estimates respectable growth for servers and storage systems that are based on specifications from the Open Compute Project, or OCP. I guess the analyst firm is now measuring OCP-based hardware in particular, and they say that revenue for servers and storage will reach $33.8 billion in 2024, which is a compound annual growth rate of 16.6%. Yeah, the reason I put this one in here, Drew, was because a lot of people poo-poo the Open Compute Project and say, oh, you know, it's not real or it's not... You know, they're not doing anything. And the, they're predicting $33, $33 billion in a few years, and it's working off a pretty substantial base already. So what they're saying is it's $15 billion in 2019, growing to $33 billion in five years' time. Now, $15 billion is a substantial amount of money out of uh, storage and compute. This is not networking. This is storage and compute right. just for the purposes of this article. And... Um, What's also notable is there is another article published by IDC, and IDC as an analyst firm generally spends about half of its time counting up numbers and then half of its time analysing or advising customers on how to buy stuff and how to make decisions in their IT, right? Gartner's much less about the numbers, more about the strategy side. IDC's kind of a balance. Is that fair or something? Fair statement? Yes, that's how I would categorize them both, yes. Mm. So they, they've, each analyst firm has a slightly different focus. There are other analyst firms that are just all numbers and so on and so forth. So I think the the IDC also published another one talking about worldwide server and enterprise storage system markets will decline in 2020, and they're predicting something like a 5 to 10% decline over the next year. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that that is... That's not that's not unexpected. We know that some of that is going into the cloud. We know that some of that was enterprises going into private clouds, so building their own private clouds as they move to colos. And some of it is due to the slowdown. So we saw the COVID-19 start to take effect in March. So Q1 would be January to March. So some of the slowdown would be due to that. And I just wanted to sort of draw a highlight there that the Open Compute Project continues to grow. Now, obviously, the Open Compute Project widely consumed by the mega clouds and the second tier clouds who are operating at scale. But just be aware of that because I think it might impinge on your long-term strategies if your organization has the opportunity to embrace open hardware and the skills in-house to consume open hardware. Let's not be, you know, let's be clear, doing it yourself does have a requirement that you are taking responsibility and that you have some of the skills in-house instead of outsourcing them to a vendor. Because effectively, when you buy branded equipment, you're outsourcing a certain amount of technical expertise to that company. So OCP is growing. Enterprises shrinking, has been shrinking for a while, to be fair. So there is a point at which maybe the enterprise market gets so small that it actually stops being relevant, is reasonable to ask. 
Well, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that because I did look up some numbers. So in 2019, OCP server revenue was $13.25 billion. That's compared to the general server revenues of $91.7 billion in 2019. So still just a small fraction of the overall server revenues. But I will say that OCP, which essentially was started by Facebook as a way to get ODMs to design servers and storage gear to their you know, power mm -hmm. and um, scalability specifications, they have managed to, to grow a substantial market out of it. It's still smaller than the overall market, but to see it growing, I think, is part of a, you know, it's explainable, I think, by Facebook size and by others like LinkedIn, Alibaba, Microsoft, who are in this market as well. They've actually been able to build a market out of this open project. Well, to give you a sense of scale there, HPE, which is an enterprise company, only has sells enterprise infrastructure almost exclusively, has a range of different business units, but its gross market capitalization is $13 billion, and it <laughs> sells about $6 billion a year. So OCP is already twice the size I'm, I'm, right, of HPE. Of HPE. Now, I just... I may have to go away and check that because I haven't got the numbers off the top of my head, but I know that the market cap's about $13 billion and, you know, the revenue from sales of products is, yeah, let's see, $3 billion a quarter. So they're selling about $12 billion a year, okay? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, okay. So OCP is sort of roughly the same size as HPE. Pretty good. Yeah. So not awful, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, Dell, of course, is the, the dominant player there. Cisco has some. Lenovo has some. And you have a range of other players there, but and OCP, of course, is a range of vendors. <laughs> and there's no reason why Dell or HP can't sell OCP product if they chose to. But I think so. The, the way you count the numbers here matters a little bit. But the point is, is that even at 13.25 billion, that would make them one of the top suppliers. I think maybe even top five. Yeah, I, I need to see a breakdown on that. But mm. yeah, I think top five is potentially possible for the conglomeration of all OCP manufacturers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, for sure. And I, I think that's significant long-term because if you're making a strategy play in your data center, that might impact you. Again, if you're into that sort of idea of doing it yourself, it might be something that you want to do. Right. If there's a design that suits your needs, uh, there is now a market for it. All right, we've got some other numbers here, and no surprise, it's switching and routing revenue, which has dropped 14% in the first quarter of 2020. That's according to Synergy Research. The analyst firm noted that the $9.1 billion in revenue is the lowest for this quarter in seven years. Again, comes back to what we said in the previous section, Q1 was not quite COVID-19, so I think March would have seen, but it would also be clear if you were a purchasing manager at a big firm you know, like one of the vendors particularly or one of the clouds, that there was definitely going to be a problem. And then also the supply chain was starting to choke up. Remember, we had yeah. uh, China going into lockdown a lot earlier. So it's reasonable to assume that some of this is due to practical issues related to COVID-19 and the supply chain. Just wasn't any manufacturing in China during Q1. And there was also, I remember we were talking in Q4 last year, the end of last year, that a lot of the mega clouds had slowed down purchasing. And there was sort of an assumption that we talked about and was being sort of written about is that the, the, the cloud companies have been holding back on CapEx. Remember, we talked a lot about financial results from people who sold products to the mega clouds, Juniper, Arista, for example. Arista. Yeah, yeah. Saying that, you know, our cloud companies have stopped purchasing. And then, of course, COVID-19 came along and blew all of their capacity out of the water. So, <laughs> so. I don't think this is suggesting that switching and routing is in trouble per se, but it's very interesting that Cisco still has 57% market share of all switches and routers being sold overall. So that was an interesting piece of reading is that Cisco's 
once was around about 75% of all switches and routers sold, and now it's down to 57%. And it's been actually improving, so it's come up from 51 to 57 over time. Yeah, so uh, quick correction, 57% market share is for Ethernet switches. The Cisco has 65% for enterprise routers and 35% for service provider routers. And uh, Synergy's aggregate ranking, Cisco is one, followed by Huawei, Nokia, Juniper, and Arista. Hmm. Uh, 57% of the market is definitely less than 75, but still yes. <laughs> not bad. Yeah, and that's okay because Cisco, I think, is, is you know, we, there's a lot more challenges in that market over time. As we've seen the market change and the mega clients come along and do their own, that changes where the mm-hmm. sales. But Cisco's adapted. That's not a criticism on Cisco because they're now heavily into tools like AppDynamics and Jasper and, you know, APM, and that's it hasn't affected them as a business on the whole. Right. Yeah, and there is significant competition still in the Ethernet switch market. Aside from the incumbents like Juniper and Arista, uh, we've seen you know Dell making a new play for open NASes with their Sonic release that we talked about a couple shows ago. Uh, Pluribus, folks like that, um, trying to make a go of this mm. open platform uh, and open NASes. So uh, aside from the regular competition, Cisco's being pushed from other directions as well. Yeah, and it's interesting to see that evolution, to be fair, because Sonic... You know, with Dell throwing its momentum behind Sonic and already there's a number of other companies contributing Sonic code, it's going to be very interesting to see that evolve over time. I'm quite excited about that in the sense that having Linux in the data centre took 20 years. It didn't happen overnight. We shouldn't expect Sonic to suddenly, hey, you know, it's only been five years. This is mission critical. No, 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 no. It's an evolution. And at some point in the future... I, I consider that Sonic m- might be, for networking, what Linux is to most other people in their systems. Might. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I don't think Kubernetes... Potential is there, I think. Yeah, yes. yeah. I don't think the current sort of trend towards Kubernetes in the de- in, on a switch is the answer. Oh, I have not heard that. Yeah, well, a lot of those, uh, you know, iOS XE and Arcus and those, you know... Oh, right, yeah, doing a microservices a, architecture. Yeah, yeah. So, in fact, it's not Kubernetes, but it's Kubernetes-like. You know, the, yes, it's, yep. it's an operating system with a bunch of containers in it with an API to orchestrate the containers. It may not be Kubernetes, but having Kubernetes on a switch conceptually, you know, with different apps and containers, I'm not sure that's sustainable long-term for a corner market, although containers on the switch makes is is a solid, seems to be a popular idea. All right, well, links in the show notes if you want to look at the numbers for yourselves. Uh, our next story, Cisco has rescheduled its Cisco Live virtual event. It was originally slated for June 2nd and 3rd, but the networking giant has pushed it to June 16th and 17th uh, to reflect the uh, protests in the United States. This is really well done. I think uh, Cisco and Chuck Robbins in particular did a really excellent job here, don't you think? Chuck Robbins put out a YouTube video and uh, explained the re- reasoning, and I thought it was good. Just these kind of big tech events, especially the keynotes, tend to be a lot of you know happy talk about digital transformation, and that mm. kind of messaging just would not jibe well with the current mood of the country. So mm. yeah, I think it was. If I'm being cynical, you know, it's a move to put it off until they can maybe feel like the the mood is a little bit better for this kind of messaging. Mm. Um, but they, frankly, I thought handled it well. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, obviously we're talking about the background of the riots and the protests in the USA focused around, the, you know, the racial discrimination and, and the challenges of inequality that are happening in the US. But I think one of the things about this is that Chuck Robbins specifically called out the issue. He didn't dance around it. He didn't say because of things. He specifically spoke around the, you know, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and and so on and called it out and then backed it up with a $5 million donation to appropriate uh, charities to support the movement. Yeah, I mean, I was actually impressed and pleased to hear 
Chuck Robbins used the word murder and mm. when talking about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others. To, I mean, for a CEO of a multi-billion-dollar company to to speak that way, I, I got to give him props for that. Yeah, and I, I give him props for walking, uh, you know, walking the talk because Cisco makes a big deal about its inclusiveness. It's been very big, uh, made a big social media push around its inclusiveness. It's had a lot of its women um, and. Uh, people of color come out and do podcasts and talk about how inclusive Cisco is. And they have a big marketing profile around that. They're actually throwing a lot of money into inclusiveness and employee happiness, especially in the public sphere. And this would say that that commitment runs more than just skin deep. It's not just a HR exercise to make the company look like an attractive place so that they can hire cheaper staff. This actually appears to be real. I feel like based on my own perception of executives at Cisco that I've interacted with, there mm. is um, a, a commitment to diversity and you see people of color and women and minorities in executive leadership positions at the organization. Mm. I will also say, though, that they are working from a very low bar in the tech industry and the broader industry in general. So, oh, yeah. you know, again, good for them, but, you know, it's not too much of a pat on the back because we have a long way to go. Yeah. And uh, just to note that Cisco, alongside of Cisco Live, uh, we recorded a, a podcast just recently talking about a recent CIO survey that Cisco had done, and that'll be posted in the heavy networking feed. I got together with Joe Peterson, and we talked about um, how this CIO survey might be related to engineers. So if you're interested in some fairly wafty prognostication on decoding what CIOs think, <laughs> that will be the show for you. If that is not what you want, then maybe you can press next on that all right. And if you want to see Chuck Robbins' video, you can probably just find it on YouTube with a search, but we've also got a link to it in the show notes. Great. All right. A quick uh, note about our sponsor today, Service Express. Don't let the OEM swipe your IT budget. If buying new data center hardware isn't an option, consider third-party maintenance from Service Express. You can lower your support costs, extend the life of your equipment, and save your IT budget. Refresh your service, not your hardware. Service Express offers penalty-free coverage adjustments, short-term gap coverage, 30-minute engineer callback, and dedicated local primary and secondary engineers. They have a first-trip repair success rate of 97%. So visit serviceexpress.com slash packet pushers and while you're there you can learn how to win a $50 Amazon gift card. Back to the news, acquisitions continue apace. VMware has announced the acquisition of malware sandbox maker Lastline. Lastline also conducts malware research and analysis. Lastline is going to be folded into VMware's NSX business unit. So Lastline is a network detection and response platform. That means you plug it into the network, it captures the flows, decodes the packets and drops them into a malware sandbox. And then it detonates the malware. I just love security companies that use that. Like, I do love that. <laughs> it's just a, it's posturing in the extreme, but there you go. And so, you know, pretty standard sort of a network detection response type of capability. And obviously because it's in the networking, the word network is a key to where it's going to go. And uh, there was a blog post from VMware's uh, Tom Gillis talking about how they are going to uh, boost NSX's intrinsic security capabilities. And I quote from his actual blog post on the VMware website, we will combine this context with deep understanding of the host provided by Carbon Black. Last line malware analysis will become a critical feed for our Carbon, Carbon Black EDR and NGAV platform, which currently helps us secure more than 10 million endpoints. So the decode there is that NSX wants to have this intrinsic security engine in their virtual switch. They've already got Carbon Black, which is doing um, antivirus and endpoint response, detection and response. And the next step, of course, is to do it in the network. And so Lastline is going to give that. Uh, TechCrunch posted an article saying that this acquisition isn't all um, guts and glory. Apparently, 40% of Lastline is staff are being laid off, according to TechCrunch. Hard to, hard to know if that's true or not. 
but that sounds a little unusual when you're making an acquisition to ditch the staff on the way in. Yeah, especially because they were making so much noise. VMware was about, um, you know, how many PhDs are on the last line team mm. and all the malware expertise they have. It'll be interesting to see if they put it in the VeloCloud as well. So we've seen VeloCloud SD-WAN seems to be quite successful, quite popular as far as, as far as I can tell. And But VeloCloud hasn't gone loud on its SaaS, SASE stuff, which is its security integrated into the SD-WAN. It seems to me that this would be suitable for that, but they're only talking about it in the context of NSX at this point. Yeah, well, the NXS business unit does include Velo Cloud, so I'm sure there are plans in the work. Uh, and this whole intrinsic um, security notion they've been pushing for uh, several cycles now, mm. so that does fit in with the messaging. It does. Uh, they didn't say how much they bought LastLine for, but um, I looked up it up on Crunchbase. LastLine was founded in 2011 and raised $52.2 million in funding. Uh, so we can imagine there's some kind of two or three x uh, over uh, over that. Yeah, how much they paid. Well, I looked up VMware's investor website and there's nothing there, so it's not material. Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe if they're getting rid of forty percent of the headcount, maybe they actually picked it up for a lot less than you think. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, you maybe. could speculate about that if you all you like, but uh, yeah. yeah. All right, moving on back to Cisco. They've released their semi-annual bug report for iOS and iOS XE software. The report has 23 advisories for software bugs, including three critical and 20 high. Include a vulnerability that allows remote code execution for several models of Cisco's industrial routers. There's also a privilege escalation vulnerability for iOS software running IOX. IOX can host applications on top of iOS. Uh, both vulnerabilities now have patches, and there are no workarounds. So if you want to fix these, you're going to have to load the software updates. The thing, I, the thing I noted about this is a lot of these are very high CVSS scores. So seven, eights, yes. nines. Uh, nines. Yeah, this is not a, oh, I'll get to it next week. This is something you're probably going to have to get to. And a lot of these are straight up denial of service or immediate exploitations in common aspects. Because there's, as you said, 23 advisories. Not much point in me trying to go through any of them. But if you haven't got a notification already, you're going to be patching your routers for the next couple of weeks. So some of these are pretty horrible. I don't know. Uh, you know, I've been fairly critical of Cisco not taking security seriously, and it's hard to make an extrapolation that this is a sort of an, a further evidence of that without knowing where these were reported from and who found them or whether they were found internally. If they come from Cisco internally, uh, that would be a sign that Cisco is starting to do a better job of finding these things because a lot of these are straight up, looks like somebody ran a fuzzer against them. Just a just an instinct. I could very much be wrong, and I could don't don't quote me on that. But if these came from inside of Cisco, then it's a sign that Cisco is starting to take it seriously, and I'm hopeful that this would get better over time. Well, links in the show notes as always if you want to go check it out and, and start your patching. Mm. Uh, moving on, the market researcher Telegeography ran some numbers to see if claims that SD WAN can cut your WAN spending by half was actually true. The short answer is yes. <laughs> the short answer is actually you get more than half. <laughs> so uh, Telegeography as a Analyst firm spends its time tracking the cost of bandwidth all over the world. So they can tell you how much the bandwidth is in Asia, in Hong Kong, versus setting up a WAN network in Africa versus Europe versus so forth. And if you wanted to do some uh, budgeting and predictive pricing, you might want to go to telegeography and en engage them to know how much it would cost to spec out a WAN network, blah, blah, blah. And they could advise you on how much you should reasonably expect to pay and whether you're getting a good deal, that sort of thing, right? So they're that sort of analyst firm. And right. in this particular scenario, they came out saying, d testing um, the idea, can you save money with an SD-WAN? And the answer is yes, you can say you can get 84% cheaper 
if you deployed an SD-WAN, if you use dual broadband connections compared to your original MPLS. And the blog post explains all of that, right? So I the reason I called this out is because we've talked a lot about saving money, and I had a couple of people poo-poo me and say, well, we no way you can save. And so I'm going to go, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's a hypothetical network that they put together, 150 sites, uh, and they use their own pricing data to model out three different scenarios, uh, an MPLS core with some DIA and internet broadband, and then a couple of variations on that. And yes, as you noted, if you just go dual broadband uh, throughout the network, 84%, uh, it's 52% savings compared to mm-hmm. if you've got an MPLS core and then a DIA and internet broadband internet access. So a lot of different ways to slice it and dice it. But Mm. just anecdotally, pretty much every customer that we talk to of SD-WAN says, yeah, we we got rid of MPLS and saved a ton of money. Yeah. Well, the second part about this is when you actually go to uh, broadband, you actually usually quadruple, if not 10x your bandwidth. That's the other point of this. Mm. Yeah. That it's not only are you saving money, you're getting more bandwidth Mm. out of the deal. Cutting 80% out of your costs and going faster. So... um, <laughs> what's not to what's love? What's not to love? There's no. There doesn't appear to be a lose here, which is not the not the way the world works. You do have to deploy an SD WAN solution, of course. So you, but uh, the reason I wanted to raise this to you is if you're thinking about an SD WAN solution, you're struggling to get your CIO to pay attention. Uh, print this out and slap it in front of your CIO, and and because it's got charts in it, and that will actually give the you know. I've always it's got charts to boggle the CIO. Yeah, well, CIOs, you know, you you put a chart in front of a CIO, you'll get their attention. You put, you know, yes. four pages of closely close together text, and they'll just look at you blindly and go like, "What?" <laughs> yes, and bring a highlighter to highlight that eighty-two percent. Yeah, savings. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, again, so link in the show notes. Check out the article. Uh, moving on. Huawei, they won eight Best of Show awards from Interop Tokyo, and Greg, you popped this into the notes because you just want to know from the audience. Do awards matter? Yeah, that's the real thing. I mean, while we won a lot of awards at the Interop, now obviously the Interop conference in Tokyo or in Japan is a rather unique event. It's always been hugely popular. You used to be involved with Interop. It was a rather a, a, an outlier in the in that portfolio. Mm-hmm. And, that's right. And, you know, hugely attended, been going on forever. Um, you know, all of networking seems to be at Interop in Tokyo every single year. But even though it's a virtual event down there this year, they still handed out Best of Show awards. Now, I know vendors love getting awards from conferences and, you know, at Packet Pushes every now and then we toy around with the idea of handing out awards. <laughs> so I guess the question is, do customers care? Like, we know that vendor marketing loves these awards and will put in quite a bit of effort to uh, get onto the awards. But in an era of virtual events, does it make sense to hand out awards for something? I wonder if you've got any opinions. For myself, I think virtual or not, it doesn't really matter. Mm. Uh, the awards are given out because uh, attendees, sponsors, the sponsors of the show love them. They love to get them. Mm. They're very excited and happy. Their marketing departments are over the moon when they get yeah. them. Uh, you'll, you'll see Interop Award. I used to work for Interop, so I've had an inside look at how this happens. Uh, and not doing the awards was like, no, you, you, they have to be done because the, the uh, sponsors love them. So uh the value the value presides to readers i don't know yeah that's the that's the big question so if you do right, love them the big question. um send me send me an email uh, or head, head over to the fu page uh, packetpushes.net slash fu and send us your feedback if you think one way or the other about whether the awards matter like you know if you get a brochure that's got an award stamped on it you know packet pushes best in sd when 2020 you know whatever i don't know would that that be exciting you know, should we convene a panel of Packet Pushes audience members to 
you know, create some classes and, and hand out some awards. I don't know. I, I'm open to new ideas. I'm glad you're open to it. As someone who's been through this, I'm going to put my FU right in here now and say not worth it. <laughs> well, 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 let's hear from the audience. <laughs> what you're saying is it's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work. There's also a lot of hurt feelings. So yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't need to get into that. Ooh, that's true. There's, it's not all winners, is it? There's a, for every winner. There's... Oh, it is not. <laughs> Do we have to have an award for everybody? Is that what you're saying? We if we like, th- we would have to if we did it. I think yes. We'd have to be like kindergarten, so everybody gets an award. <laughs> exactly. Everybody gets a ribbon. <laughs> a ribbon for showing up. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> But we would like to hear from you. If it matters to you, why, what, how does it affect your uh, decision-making? So, you know, let us know. Uh, Packetpushers.net slash FU. Uh, that does wrap up the news portion. Uh, please stay tuned for our sponsored TechBytes conversation with Fortinet's SD-WAN customer, Payomatic. That's coming right up. You're listening to the TechBytes podcast from the Packet Pushers. On today's show, sponsored by Fortinet, we're discussing an SD-WAN deployment with Payomatic. Payomatic is a financial services company in New York City. Payomatic chose Fortinet's secure SD-WAN to revamp its WAN, and we're going to talk about how Payomatic cut costs by migrating off MPLS and how the Fortinet secure SD-WAN positioned the company to take advantage of new infrastructure options. Our guest is Michael Saracino. He is CISO and VP of IT at Payomatic. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Can you give us a very brief description of the company? Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so Payomatic is one of New York's or is New York's largest alternative financial service providers with uh, roughly 150 locations locations uh, throughout the five boroughs servicing Manhattan, Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, and Long Island. And a good portion of those are 24-hour operations. Mm-hmm. And we offer services such as check cashing, Western Union, bill payment, commercial check cashing. And we also have our own uh, branded debit card called Empower. So, Michael, uh, why make the investment in SD-WAN and, in particular, Fortinet solution? So, our existing network design, we have a MPLS managed service. Um, we also have a secondary ISPD site that kind of ties back up into that MPLS network via VPN tunnel. And it's very expensive to do that. And we also lack visibility at, that, uh, at the edge at each of our branch locations because all that traffic goes out through the internet from there. We don't have access to that device. Mm. So the goal here was, uh, in, in moving over, was to help us cut costs and gain visibility and utilize some of that cost save to help us uh, with new tools, um, new services, and help migrate to the cloud. And with Fortinet, it allowed us to take advantage of SD-WAN at the edge on one device, which reduced our hardware footprint. Um, so we could do our security and our networking all on that same device. Okay, so you've got and firewall and SD-WAN on the same appliance. Correct. And then we were able to take those two ISPs, bundle them together, and uh, with IPsec VPN tunnels in the back, connect that up with a combination of uh, BGP for some dynamic routing um, to control the traffic. With uh, putting this new solution in place, now we gain the visibility and the insight to what we were lacking at the edge by being able to manage and maintain our own device. Okay, so you could get off MPLS, which is expensive. You can consolidate your footprint. You've got firewall and SD-WAN in one device, you've got more visibility uh, and um, you've got uh, better security controls, IPsec, VPN, and you can still do routing with BGP. That's kind of the whole package, yes? Correct, correct. And low touch once it's configured. Uh Uh-huh, okay, that's also good. So at the start of the conversation, you said one of the reasons uh, the company went with SD-WAN is to uh, facilitate cloud adoption and get some, uh, to evolve your infrastructure. Can you talk a little bit more about what you mean? 
Yeah, so sure. Um, we're planning to migrate all of our applications to the cloud, and this supports us a way to support a hybrid environment and migrate the workloads with less friction. Um, we also were going to, we, we stood up virtual FortiGates running in the cloud in an HA config. So that gave us the ability to fail between devices and be highly resilient. And we did that at each of our core locations, you know, our primary data center and our secondary data center to help support the migration. Okay, so if you're moving applications to the cloud, that means to me right from branch to cloud rather than backhaul through headquarters or, no, or not? Yeah, you got that correct. So we wanted, since our main application would be in the cloud, we wanted the branches to go directly to cloud at that point. So we terminated that, or, you know, we terminated them up to a FortiGate virtual appliance. And then that would interact with the services in the cloud back to the client. And our primary data center, I want it to go away. I want it to be just like a branch. I don't want a house to host any services in the future. <laughs> but you're no but fun, man. Come the on. Trick, the, trick is, the trick is there is I need to support existing infrastructure and applications while we do this migration. So right. everything, they need to come back to the core data centers and our DR, you know, secondary site as well yeah. while we do this and move identity providers and all of that fun stuff. <laughs> so there's a lot of moving pieces and keep it up and highly resilient and available at the same time. And running the business 24-7 in some places. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So being that the company is financial services, I presume security is a priority, very critical. Are you taking advantage of Fortinet as a security provider as well as SD-WAN? Yeah. So uh, with our previous solution, we were not able to capture the full threat landscape. And by utilizing Fortinet, we now are. So we can you know, protect our user data. Um, we get visibility into threats, malware detection, and we can proactively block or alert on events. And then we take that a step further by using a 40 manager. So that gives us central management to uh, device management, push global policy and update firmware across all these devices across the field. So it's single pane of glass, which is really nice. It's, then, yeah, so you're getting, it, I mean, it feels like if you, back in the day, maybe you backhauled everything through centralized firewalls and we're getting your visibility and looking at everything that way, you basically still have that, even though you've distributed all of that security functionality out to the branch edge. Correct, correct. And it's nice because it's single pane of glass. You know, the teams that manage us do not have to log into each firewall to push a policy. Mm. You could globally push that policy. And then we, we also took advantage of 40 Analyzer. So we're pushing all our, our log traffic to 40 Analyzer from all these devices at the branch location, which we never really were able to do that before. Um, and that 40 Analyzer, think of it as like a, a sim light kind of. Mm -hmm. So you get like your, uh, your threats, your compromised hosts, your traffic, your top X destinations, um, policy hits and anything like that through uh, 40 Analyzer. So this gives you sort of a quick dashboard overview that kind of integrates all the feeds coming in to see what's going on. Correct. Correct. Okay. Uh, are you running separate firewall appliances and SD-WAN appliances, or do you have them on one box? So no, it's, it's all one box. Um, the firewall is the FortiGate, mm -hmm. and that runs the SD-WAN and the you know the the next gen. It's the next gen firewall and everything built into one. Okay, so that also cuts down the device footprint you have to worry about at each location. Correct. Uh, so you mentioned a bunch of Fortinet products, the, the firewall, the SD-WAN, Forti Analyzer. Apparently, you're also using Fortinet switches for the branches. Is this, like, are you all in on Fortinet for that one throat to choke idea, or are there, like, operational advantages you're getting? Yeah, I mean, so I guess it helps to have one throat to choke, but originally, you know. <laughs> I guess that's a very aggressive phrasing. But come on, know, come on. One hand to shake. Come okay. on, guys. Thank you, Ethan. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, originally, we I wasn't planning on uh, 
deploying 40 switches. But as I looked at their product line and I saw the advantages to use the 40 switches, I think it made sense for us. Um, so this, the switches, there's a built-in uh, switch controller into the 40 gates. So these, when you connect the, the switch to the 40-gate for, the firewall, you gain uh, a place to configure the ports, the VLANs, et cetera, without logging into the switch. Hmm. And since we use 40 manager, all this talks up to 40 manager. So now in that single pane of glass, I could enable a switch port. I could move the VLAN that it's in. Um, I could disable a switch port all without having to log back into that switch to manage it. And then we also gain, because both of these products work together, there is a integration and the security aspect of that, which is another benefit. Okay, so this is interesting because when we think of Fortinet, we don't think first of, oh yeah, they make switches. You know, that's like something you find out after. So that's really interesting. They make switches that integrate fully into their management platform. So now it's just an operational thing. Now it's easy to deal with all of the networking stuff for a branch in one chunk, one, well, going back to you, you said single pane of glass earlier. Yeah, and it, it, they have their own fabric, and it all plays nice together. I wasn't aware of the switches at first as well until I started diving a little deeper into the products and what we were trying to accomplish. And then, you know, I noticed the advantage there. And you found this advantage compelling enough to take out the switches that you've already had in branches? Correct. So actually, I purchased about 30 stores worth of switches that I uh, sat on to replace with the 40 switches oh, no. from another known <laughs> company uh-huh. because I thought it was that, that compelling to, to use this and it would be to our benefit to use the 40 switches. Wow. Okay. Mm. Yeah. That's an endorsement. So beyond the switches, you're using something called 40 extenders. Uh, so you really are all in. So tell us what the 40 extenders are. Sure. So um, you, you, have, you have a primary and secondary ISP. And if there is some catastrophic, catastrophic failure where a telephone pole gets hit or both links get taken out, that store could be down. So um, I was looking for a product that we could put in to do mobile 3G, 4G, 5G with and they have a product called 40 Extender. And uh, we did a POC and a trial run on that, and it integrates really well. It'll, you could plug it right into the, the switch, and using that 40 link to the firewall, it'll show up as a network device in the firewall. And you could just bundle that right into your SD-WAN as a member, and that's it. It'll, it'll take that path based on SLA policy. So it extends your WAN uh, capabilities, if you will, automate some of the failover and such. Correct. Yeah. The same way you're doing with multiple ISPs bundled together in your SD-WAN, this is just another connection that's in there at that point. So one of the things we hear folks talk about with SD-WAN is suddenly they're getting visibility uh, into their WAN like they haven't before. And you mentioned this earlier in our conversation, but can you talk a little bit more about how you can monitor and troubleshoot uh, with with Fortinet SD-WAN, things you couldn't do before? Yeah. It comes back down to that single pane of glass and that console visibility there for the security, the infrastructure team to kind of monitor and and see what's going on in the network. We also use that to uh, push policy out for whitelisting to the stores. So we get visibility there. You know, it's whitelist only policy. Mm-hmm. So we're not doing category, categorization filtering, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And what about things like, you know, your relationship with your ISPs, SLAs? Do you have a better sense of, am I actually getting what I'm paying for? Can I push back if I'm feeling like performance is an issue or there's troubleshooting problems? I can say, yeah, I know it's not us because of X, Y, Z. Yeah, I mean, we're not measuring the bandwidth that we're getting through the ISPs, mm-hmm. um, but we're monitoring the SLA. So we can see, say we have 50 millisecond SLAs and now, you know, the communication back to these links is a lot higher. Mm-hmm. You could see that and we could go back to the ISP right away and say, hey, there's a problem with this link or it'll get taken out of rotation at that point because there is a problem and it's not meeting the SLA. Okay. Uh, did 
users, uh, employees, customers notice any kind of difference in performance when you got SD-WAN rolled out? The prior solution, there was failover involved in that, but sometimes things were sticky. The VoIP would not come back mm -hmm. or it wouldn't failover as smoothly <laughs> because we were using two different products. We had the MPLS and then we had a managed device terminating back into the VPN. And on their end, things would get a little, little sticky at times. But with this, um, it's pretty much indiscernible to the end users. With the, the SLA-based failover, just the applications get steered to the, the better performing WAN link and uh, you know, any time of the day. So now we can get a little more sleep at night for this portion. I mean, there's other things that may keep us up, but sure. uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. In, in other words, the, what's improved here is that the failover has gone from being something that kind of worked and, and kind of didn't, and sometimes it would impact the users to now it just works. Correct. Correct. Yeah, and when it comes to end users, no news is good news, I think. Yes, if yes. They're not complaining, then things are fine. Yeah, and you want to be as proactive all the time. You know, you don't want to be reactive in these situations, so th this helps us a lot. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What, what allows you to be proactive? So just um, being able to bundle everything together. I mean, SD-WAN as, as, as a whole, it just helps because... You configure it, you kind of set it and forget it almost. Um, you know, once you set your policies on it, it, it just works and you just have to monitor and make sure your connections are up and, you know, set alerting on if an ISP goes down. This way, tickets get raised and open that that could get repaired because uh -huh. you don't want to have multiple ISPs down. But yeah. <laughs> so, how far have you gotten in the deployment, Mike? Have you, uh, like, you guys have about 150 locations, as I understand it. Is, have you rolled it out that, uh, that widely? And uh, what's that rollout experience been like? Yeah, so uh, we completed the, the full rollout. Um, we did an exhaustive POC to test to make sure that how failover worked, how we could get to the cloud, how everything would route. Um, and then we, we stepped through it. Like we, we have a lab that simulates uh, one of our branch locations. We deployed it to that. And then we rolled out. Once we knew that was solid, we rolled out to uh, our low volume stores to validate and make sure. Biggest thing that we've came across with this project is ISP delivery dates. They just, they don't need it or there's a build out and they <laughs> expect it's going to get cut in two weeks. And then, no, it's two months and three months out. So, I mean, that was the biggest problem. And that's why we, we enabled 40 extender to help cut our costs because we had to support some of the new ISPs that were installed plus the existing. So by putting a 40 extender in there, we were able to disconnect the, the MPLS portion of it and rely on a single ISP with wireless which was not our optimal. We want two physical right. hardwired ISPs, but um, that allowed us to get through the project by doing that. But because it was a 3G, 4G connection, you could get a site up that much faster instead of having to wait for a line to come in. Correct. Okay. Well, that about wraps it up for all the time we have. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about Fortinet, you can go to fortinet.com. They've also got a specific SD-WAN landing page. That's fortinet.com slash products slash SD-WAN. That's fortinet.com slash product slash SD-WAN. And we'll also have that link in the show notes that accompany this podcast. Uh, thank you, Mike, for joining us. And thank you to Fortinet for being a sponsor. You can find this and many more fine, free technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at packetpushers. Find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>